Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Men of the Hearts podcast. Today we have on a very special guest, and it's our first guest of this show. I'm so excited. Father David, can you ask me how excited I am? How excited are you, Father Craig? So excited. <laughs> me too. Me too. This is a great opportunity for us uh, here at Men of the Hearts. So we have the man, the myth, and the legend here today, the Archbishop of Detroit, Archbishop Alan Vigneron. Thank you for being on our show. How are you doing today? Doing fine, Father Craig and David. Father David, good to be with you both. Uh, hope you've recovered from the strain of the sacred tree Oh, we have. It was a little bit easier for me uh, not uh, being a pastor this year, so it was a little bit different for me. So I got to kind of really enter into uh, the Mass in a different way, so it was very special for me. Um, yeah, Father David, how was the true to one for you? You know, it was it was probably my favorite part of being a priest so far. Uh, it's, it was my first time being through the true to one as a priest, and uh, well, it was exhausting. Uh, <laughs> but but it was it was really just it was beautiful to uh, you pray through it differently as a priest, and just to experience that. Um, I just felt like so many times thinking, "Yep, yeah, this is why I'm a priest." You know. Uh, to, to do this. Uh, this is the heart of our faith right here. So yeah. um, it was beautiful to just enter into, uh, beautiful to see it here at Divine Child. Uh, the liturgies were so beautiful, just kind of just kind of drew you into that mystery. So, Yeah, and just to let our listeners know that Father David has a really beautiful voice. He's saying they oh, exalted. Thank you. And it, and it was wonderful. It could really prayerful and, and really well done. So good job on you. <laughs> Thank Archbishop, you. would you want to share maybe some blessings that you received over the last month or through the Sacred Triduum? Well, let's, uh, we can talk about the Triduum especially. Uh, I was particularly moved this year by the Chrism Mass. Uh, mm. It's the Chrism Mass every year plus priesthood ordinations are really the highlight of my liturgical year. And what made this year particularly a grace was uh, the uh, contrast to last Holy Thursday, when there were 10 of us all together, even counting the musicians and servers in the church for the prison mass. And uh, we observed social distancing on Thursday morning, but with that, the, the cathedral was at maximum, and there were so many priests. It was a, a great blessing, it really brought tears to my eyes to see how God is, is bringing us through this difficult time. And uh, how we were able to be back together, especially with my brother priests. Yeah, it was wonderful to see and wonderful to be there with uh, everybody and to see the priests that, you know, often we don't get to see uh, during these uh, busy times. I just remember last year, I remember laying down on the couch and watching the Christmas. Uh, it was definitely very different than being there. And, you know, we're an incarnational people. We're meant to be with each other and especially at that mass to renew my promises uh, mm -hmm. to the priesthood and, and and everything that goes along with it is just really special. That's a very special day for me. And I always renew my consecration uh, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary on that day as well. Father David, this was your first time. What did you think about the Chrism Mass? Uh, it was it was beautiful. Um, I, it really struck me being there, just all the priests, just like the brotherhood there and kind of just this shared mission. Um, I, I don't know. I just... I remember I was sitting there and just kind of looking at all of these other priests, you know, my brothers now. Um, I think I've shared this before, but, you know, with seven sisters, I prayed for a long time for a brother. <laughs> and now the Lord has blessed me with with hundreds of them in the priesthood. Um, there was just a sense of, of brotherhood and um, 
I don't know. I just felt like I'm looking at like, this is, this is a group of men who have been entrusted in a special way with bringing Jesus to others. And it's just like, I felt that. And I hadn't really, you know, as a priest been to a big gathering apart from my ordination, you know, of priests like that. And there was just, there was, there was really a powerful sense of, I don't know how to, else to say it, just brotherhood, you know? Yeah. Belonging. Like yeah, I mentioned absolutely. before, yeah, I mentioned before about like after the archbishop laid his hands on my head, all the different priests at the ordination uh, lay their hands on our heads. And it was like the first time in my life, even though I have some really good friends and everything that I just felt like I belonged, that God was calling me here. And this was uh, the place where I was supposed to be. And it just was an Amen. overwhelming sense of peace and joy that I belonged to this brotherhood. Archbishop, we, we like to little do a little banter at the beginning. Uh, we like to ask Father David what he bought at Costco for the house here at Divine Child, but uh, he didn't buy anything this month. Why is that, Father David? You want to share? Well, that? I, I didn't quite I didn't quite get to the snack aisle. At least I got a few of the essentials. Um, Archbishop, I have to uh, I have to tell you, I do I love Costco. I've been converted since I I got here. I never shopped at Costco before, but uh, the the parish has a membership. And so I, I've really enjoyed uh, going to Costco and just, you know, trying something new every so often. Uh, but actually, this month I was at Costco and got a call for an emergency anointing. Your first um, emergency anointing. This too, was right? my first one. Yes. And uh, so I, I, I ended up, I checked out right away and got there. Um, actually, it was, it was kind of a sad instance. I got there uh, too late. Um, the, the person had already passed. Um, and so we still, we did, uh, the prayers for the dead and the family was very happy. I was there, but, uh, but it, it was one of those instances where, um, I'm glad I went and I'm glad I went right away. Yeah. Um, you know, there was for a moment, uh, kind of that thought in my mind, well, could I just finish my shopping trip first? Um, but I, I'm really glad I, I went right away. I don't know that I could have lived with myself ha knowing that, you know, in hindsight, the person did pass away. You know, I'm glad I just, I know that I did everything I could to get there. Yeah, that's, that's really important. I, I, that's happened to me a couple of times as well. You know, we're on call all the time, especially, you know, as a pastor, you know, and if you're the only one at the parish, you can get called at all hours of the night and uh, on holidays. I remember Thanksgiving, I got to my brother's house and immediately I had to drive all the way back because of anointing. And it's just, mm. it's a blessing to be in people's lives in that. But, you know, sometimes, yeah. unfortunately, um, people call too late. I remember I had an experience. Um, I used it as an excuse to speed really, really fast. You know, I got a call an anointing. I jumped in my car right away. I was like flying, doing 90. I'm sorry, Archbishop. I wasn't supposed to be doing that. But I got there. And unfortunately, um, you know, the person already passed as well. But I got to be there with the family and pray with them and to uh, say a number of different prayers and it, it still was a powerful experience for them to be there for them and to be in the midst of that sorrow. Um, Archbishop, have you had any experiences like that uh, with anointings? I, uh, I don't know that I've ever been called uh, in an emergency situation. Uh, I have had powerful experiences at the anointing of the sick. I get to go, I've been a, a lot of years the spring pilgrimage that the Order of Malta takes to Lourdes. And uh, the duty that uh, most of the years that's fallen to me to lead is the anointing of the sick. And that for me is very powerful, has been a very powerful experience at Lourdes uh, 
to celebrate this sacrament our Lord gave us for the particular care of the sick. I think uh, so much of the incarnation with uh, the consequence being that God has hands and God can touch people. We don't, uh, it's not just a metaphor, but uh, he really does touch. And the anointing of the sick, the sacrament, is a way to continue that touch. That's, that's one way God uses my hands. Jesus makes my hands his hands. And uh, there near the grotto where Our Lady brought the good news of Jesus' closeness to the sick, it, it, uh, it's been, was a, it has been a very powerful experience for me, uh, like you're both talking about being instruments uh, at this uh, significant period in people's lives, this this moment that uh, whereby Christ draws so very close. I think that's that's the experience that the Holy Spirit invites me to share with all of you. Yeah, have you seen any healings at Lords? Have you? I've seen uh, a lot of healings, but not any cures. Uh, that's a little saying I learned from a, a really devout woman, a, a, a dame of Malta, that there's healing for everybody. There are a few cures. And this actually is a woman whose daughter was cured of, of cancer. But uh, what's interesting about that is her life has been very difficult. Uh, it's not that the healing she was given sort of turned everything into the magic kingdom. Hmm. Their own discernment is that the healing was a way to strengthen her uh, for a life of self-offering. But I, I have seen tremendous healing at Lourdes. People who were so angry with God, uh, sometimes for their own illness, very powerfully for me was a mother who was very angry with God for the the illness of her son, her grade school age son, and uh, the pilgrimage, uh, the fellowship of the of all of us with her, uh, really, the Holy Spirit broke through and took away the bitterness. That so yeah, I've seen a lot of you. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful to have that that healing take place. I went to Lourdes and I wasn't even thinking about the priesthood at the time. I was just uh, your rail pass, traveling at different cities, looking at all the different uh, art museums. As you know, I'm an artist, uh, but I stopped at Lourdes and I knew I was supposed to drink some type of water somewhere. And I drank something out of a fountain and got so incredibly sick. <laughs> it definitely was not the water I should have been drinking at the time, but it was it was a special moment. And uh, I went during an off day. And I had the whole hotel to myself. Actually, the patrons were like, we're going to let the guard go home. Here's the key to the hotel. Just make sure you lock up if you leave. It was such a weird and exciting experience. Um, yeah, and just to share one, one more anointing story really quickly, I just think it was something so beautiful that I got to see uh, once. And, and it's, it's a way in which I can... Um, justify me having a big four by four truck uh, v8 <laughs> it was a ton of snow on the ground and the priest that was supposed to go and do an anointing couldn't make it out in the snow and the family called me up we had this huge event happening at the parish at the time but i was able to kind of sneak away 
took a little while to get there into the snow. And when I got there, there was a hospital bed in, in the middle living room there. And there were around 30 people there. Like all, all of the family was there. All the, all the brothers and sisters gathered around the father, all the, all the, all the different cousins. And it just, it was really powerful. And, and I started saying all of the different prayers. I did the anointing. I did the apostolic part. And, and then I just said, in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. And at that moment you heard, and he just died right there like he was waiting to receive that gift he was waiting for the sacrament and i think god's faithful to those who 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 wait for that and and just recognizing that sometimes when we go and do these anointings and, and we go into people's lives that there's so much more going on spiritually that we can't see and it just was a beautiful moment for me to see that this man was was hanging on waiting to receive that final gift of, of the final sacraments to take them home. So Archbishop, I know we talked a little bit around of different priestly things that we've done, including uh, anointing the sick, but you want to share with us a little bit of your vocation story. I don't know how far back you want to go. You can start back to wherever you really want. Um, you know, just uh, share some of the highlights with us. Well, uh, I hope uh, neither you or, nor Father David or, or the listeners won't be disappointed, but my vocation story is very dull and completely lacks drama. <laughs> well, I was, I was telling Father David that I, I fear like you and Father David kind of have like the same background and, and I don't know why I have it in my head that you like grew up on a ranch or a farm. Did you grow up on uh, a ranch or a farm? When I was a little boy, we lived with my grandma and uh, she kept three cows. She did a little bit of kind of widow farming. But uh, so it was a rural parish, Anchorville, Immaculate Conception. Okay. Uh, I went to the Catholic grade school. Uh, it was a three-room school, very small operation. But uh, I, I just was always attracted to uh, the things of Christ, uh, particularly the Eucharist. And uh, very early... Uh, I was in the third grade. I think the sister who managed the, the altar servers must have recognized this in me. And she gave a, a dispensation to let me become a server a year early. Mm. And uh, it, it was always about the Holy Eucharist. And uh, I wanted to do what the priest did. And I had the, the inclinations of an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old. And at every stage in my life, my attraction was what was appropriate to my age at that time. Hmm. When, uh, when I was 14, eighth, eighth grade, uh, we had the system then that you could go off to the high school seminary, which I decided to do because hmm. that's what you did if you were interested in becoming a priest. Did you live at the seminary at the time? In I high did school? It, uh, five days a week. Uh, we didn't board over the the weekend. We went okay. home Friday afternoon and came back Sunday night. I, I did not like that. I really, I missed my mom. I missed my home. Sure. You missed your cows. Yeah, it was very <laughs> regimented. It, uh, you know, if you're, there were over 800 of us in the high school. About uh, 600 were uh, day students who lived close enough to get there by bus or carpool every day. There were about 220 of us who boarded. So imagine running a residential program for 220 adolescent boys. 
you don't cut much slack. You have to keep it pretty much on, on track. But, um, you know, every year, they, the system was set up that uh, we were not allowed. They called it float. You couldn't float from one year to the next. Uh, at the end of the school year, uh, there was a lot of emphasis on rethinking your, your presence there. Were you willing to make a commitment to come back again, give yourself to it? Uh, and I did that every year. Uh, some some days were tougher than others. Other days were a lot of joy. Um, and I and I progressed. I would say probably the most important scene in, in the drama of my vocation story happened when I was about 20 years old, 1968. Uh, Father Craig, you, you mentioned that uh, generally the listeners are rather younger men. Uh, that's ancient history for everybody. <laughs> I wasn't even thought yet. <laughs> even you, Craig? <laughs> 77, I was born. <laughs> so, uh, a little after that. 1968 was a year of great chaos. It was a revolution at the University of Paris that spread throughout the Western world. Mm-hmm. Chaos at the campuses in the United States. Uh, was a year of assassinations. Hmm. Vietnam was raging. There was all the contention about the protest against Humani Vitae, and things seemed to be coming undone all over, not least in the church. And it was having a tremendous impact on my brothers in the seminary, and a number of them were leaving. They just, uh, it was just too much to think through. And I was very close to leaving myself. I, I thought, what do they all know that I don't know? Where is this all going to go? Is this, the, is this the, the challenge I want the rest of my life? And I was in the choir loft praying in the, in the chapel at Sacred Heart. And I won't go into too many details, but the inspiration came to me that I was being like Peter, James, and John uh, in Gethsemane, uh, not willing to watch and pray. Uh, I was looking for a way to go to sleep, get my rest. Mm-hmm. And I looked at myself and I said, that's not the person I want to be. I don't want, if the Lord needs me to stay with him, I will do my best to endure, to, to keep watch. And um, I mean, it's not the moment I decided definitively to be a priest. That was really somewhere in second or third theology. But it was the moment I decided to stay when uh, I was most challenged at that point. And I look back on it from what I've seen with marriage prep. This is very common experience in uh, engaged couples. They look back on their history. There is a time when the relationship seems to be unraveling, and they can make a choice to reconcile and build up the relationship, or they can make a choice to walk away. And I don't know that they would see that at that moment when they choose to reconcile, that they've really decided to get married but it's a decision that leads to another decision. 
And that really is for me the most important part of you know, my own vocational discernment. I made a choice to stay. Because I made that choice, I was able to make the definitive choice to ask Bishop to ordain the priest. I think every priest has that kind of experience in the in the seminary. You may be thinking, well, if the right woman comes along or, you know, you just never know. Like, and then there's some type of difficulty in our lives. And then you're like, oh, I'm tempted to leave. And I, I think it's well put, like, you know, are we going to sleep in the garden? Or are we going to keep watch with the Lord? And if the Lord really wants us to move in this direction, then the Lord is going to give us the grace to continue on. Um, kind of talking about the different types of suffering we can suffer at our own hands because we're doing what is wrong or not doing God's will much like the prophet Jonah who walked away from the Lord and, and suffered for it but to to accept what the Lord offers us to always give us the grace uh, to move forward so obviously the Lord gave you the grace to continue on so what happened from from there in the choir loft <laughs> I went to bed <laughs> <laughs> And I and I, I didn't pack, you know. Uh, I kept moving ahead. Uh, you know, one of Father Greg, you you mentioned in uh, helping me get ready for this, uh, of being able to offer some advice. I think a, a very important thing is no, don't drive ahead of your headlights. Uh, mm. if, if a person is discerning, if a person wants to know God's will, uh, ask God, what's your will today? And what's the light I have today? Um, I mean, it might be a light for what I'm supposed to do the next week, but what's the light I have today? And follow that light. And when you get to where that light takes you, you'll have new lights, different lights. You'll, you'll, the horizon will get moved. Uh, and uh, I think that's one of the most important things about the seminar. Yeah, I think so many of us want to know exactly what the Lord wants, 100% certitude and no ifs, ands, and buts about it. This is what I'm called to do, and I'm going to be having my 30-year plan already set out before me, and, and that's not the way that the Lord works. We have to trust each and every single day. Faith, hope, and love, right? Mm -hmm. Right, and uh, we have to be faithful to the light. If we pray for the light, we can be confident we're, we will be given light. That's a prayer that is always heard, but uh, we don't want to waste the light either. If God gives it, we have to respond. It's a, it's like a, it's a covenant. Yeah, it's like someone sitting at uh, the, you know, the street light and the, it turns green and they're just kind of sitting there. It can cause a whole lot of problems, not only for them, but for everybody else around too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I don't want to uh, take over, but I saw Father Pelican has something really important <laughs> oh, please go ahead, Father Fulgan. No, I just, I just wanted to, uh, to comment on one thing you said, Archbishop, about. Uh, I think you said you said something like, at every moment, your understanding of your vocation and the priesthood was appropriate to that time, and I just that resonated with me too, um, of just that this understanding of what the priesthood was, even as the Lord was calling, kind of grew. And to, if I'm honest, is still growing, you know, um, I remember because uh, I entered seminary, not obviously not in high school, but right after high school. And one thing I heard very right. often I was <laughs> a late vocation. Is that what yeah. you said? <laughs> That's where we would have thought about it in 1962. Wow. Wow. Times, times change. Yeah. Now, 
you know the so what you did archbishop would have been called a true lifer right uh but uh but now now i guess uh i guess what what i did is called being a lifer but it's it's not quite the same it's, <laughs> but i interrupted you you were going to no, say no not at all i um i just i i i know entering seminary even at, after high school a lot of people were telling me that i should go to college first you know and I think that's a common path for people now. Um, and one of the reasons I heard was, well, right after high school, you can't possibly know what you're getting into and what you're giving up. And uh, in a sense, that was absolutely true. I had no idea what the Lord was going to ask me to give up. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but I guess what I came to was that that wasn't so important. It was more of like you're saying, just asking uh, the Lord for that light and then following it. And even if you don't know what he's leading you to, if you know it's him, uh, you just, you go all in, you know, you follow it. Yeah. Archbishop, last week we talked about signs, or last month we talked about signs, and, you know, we're, as we're talking about lights that the Lord leads us, did you ever ask uh, for, for a sign from the Lord? Did you ever receive some type of grace where it was like, this is really sure that I should be going in this direction? I think there are, there's a range of signs, uh, you know, the, the very normal ones that intelligent people can use to make their decisions. Uh, then there are moments of light, I think, where, where it's just an aha moment. I think those are the most powerful things that uh, I have or some aha moments where uh, I recognize that uh, as beautiful as marriage is, uh, I would feel that I have not followed God's light and accepted the happiness he wanted for me if I didn't find it in the priesthood. I have a particular, a very particular experience of that, that aha moment. But, uh, you know, people make decisions about, especially faith-filled men, so I, you know, my observation is they, they make decisions about the marriage and whom they're going to marry uh, based on a form of discernment. And uh, it's the same sort of uh, process. Is this what God wants? Will, will this bring me to be the, the man God wants me to be? Will I be able to uh, fulfill and, and make the contribution that God wants me to be able to offer as a spouse and a parent. Those are the same questions I think that a man thinks about the priesthood because the priesthood is about espousal love and it's about uh, being a, a father, a spiritual father. But it's the fulfillment of uh, what St. John Paul calls the, the language of masculinity, the language of a man's body. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of kind of jumped into it a little bit that I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, as I'm sorry if I've been pushing the envelope. here. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. I, I, I like it. I like it. I, I think, you know, when I'm talking to a young man, um, it seems like there's a lot of anxiety when when you're asking these types of questions, whether it be for marriage or vocation to the priesthood. And, and there's just things that scare them there there's a fear there and we never want to give in to fear right you know perfect love casts out all fear but you know there are things that could scare us and was there anything as you were deciding whether or not god called you to the priesthood that you were scared about or that you had a fear or there was a great anxiety that 
you know, somehow you overcame by God's grace? Well, it, it's the, the sense of my own uh, limitations and being able to uh, be uh, an effective priest. Hmm. I, I, I remember you saying that you, you hated the movie The Bells of St. Mary. That's right. That's <laughs> where I was going with this. Uh, I knew I couldn't be Bing Crosby. I wasn't going to be that kind of a priest. I don't have those gifts of charm. Right, like he did absolutely nothing wrong. Yeah, and I, I, I'm the very opposite of cool. Uh, and, uh, and I thought, well, if the only way to be a good priest is to be cool, uh, it's not going to work for me. So I, I basically was coming to accept my own limitations. Yeah, yeah. Was there anybody in your life that really had a strong effect on your vocation? Was there a priest or a religious sister or your parents or anybody that really kind of helped you uh, through this process? Well, as I look back on it, uh, of course, my parents are most important, but at a, at a very fundamental way and a way I don't know that I always recognized until I began to be more mature. But a person who was an very much a particular catalyst in my own life was Sister Jane Francis Miller. Hmm. Sister was the principal at our little grade school, and she's the one who uh, bent the rules to let me <laughs> serve her. And uh, she was always very encouraging. She was a real vocation uh, recruiter. For example, in my eighth grade class, there were eight boys and eight girls, and three of us tried the seminary, and that was because of her aggressive recruitment. <laughs> there were three boys in the class ahead of me who tried the seminary, and two in the class after me who tried the seminary. So, uh, and, and actually, Monsignor Pat Halfpenny uh, shares this love for the late Sister Jane Francis. Pray for those people that uh, have influenced us. Pray for those priests and, and religious sisters that really had an influence on our lives. You know, so, you know, we're looking at, you know, again, at our, our vocation story. And, and sometimes, um, as we talked a little bit about fears, and we talked about uh, signs. Uh, we also talk about just the grace of living in the moment. And, uh, you know, can you explain maybe what your prayer life was like during the time or maybe because you're your situation was a little bit different, actually going to high school seminary. What, what what advice would you give to a young man who maybe is in high school or just getting out of college of, you know, what kind of prayer life would be appropriate for a man discerning uh, the priesthood? Well, uh, I think uh, extended periods of quiet are, are indispensable. Uh, from what I, when I talk to fellows at the seminary, they tell me that uh, this is what allowed them to have breakthroughs in their own discernment was uh, to be able to put really a significant period of time aside to be in the Lord's presence, particularly in his presence in the most blessed sacrament. Mm -hmm. For one, one young, younger priest whose work I admire greatly said that it was in that Eucharistic prayer, prayer of adoration, that he finally was able to get over his fears. So I think a commitment, if, if a person is serious about the question, uh, that uh, to make a commitment 
to be regular in periods of quiet, if possible, in the presence of the most blessed sacrament. Now, uh, how one prays there, and, uh, that could be Lexio Divina, could be, uh, there are lots of ways people need to respond the way the Holy Spirit gives them a taste to pray. And, and they can talk to their parish priest and get some coaching if they need that. But I, I think that's the most important thing. And then to, to go into it with honesty. I mean, you can't go into that prayer with uh, uh, negotiating. You, God doesn't accept negotiation. If you're going to go into his presence, you have to offer him everything. Or it, it just won't be acceptable. Mm-hmm. wants everything. And so you go into the prayer saying, I'm here, tell me what you want, and I will do my best to respond positively with your help. And I think if one prays that way, he'll get the light he needs. And very much, well, the light could be that the man is not called to the priesthood. And uh, we're all devoted to the will of God. A man isn't taught. I, we all need priests, but I don't need a man to be a priest if that's not God's will. Yeah. Total commitment that I'll go where, where the light takes, where your light takes. Yeah. You had some interesting assignments. Um, you were rector of Sacred Heart for a number of years. So maybe if you could speak to that, uh, you know, what are the characteristics uh, of a man uh to be, uh, you know, entered into the seminary to become a seminarian. What were, what were you looking for as rector? Well, there there are the things that the church says are, are minimal requirements, sort of the basic requirements uh, of, of a life of uh, discipleship, uh, basically moral, uh, morally sound life, uh, habits of prayer, um, cooperative, willing to enter into and be generous in responding to the program of priestly formation and uh, the kind of average intelligence that it would take to get through uh, basic university life. These are, these are the, the baselines. And then uh, an interest, you know, I, want, I, I, I care enough about the possibility of being a priest that I'm willing to try. Those are the things, one of those. Yeah, well, I'm one of those average uh, seminarians when it comes to intelligence. However, uh, our father, David Pelican here, uh, waited all through uh, seminary with all A's. I think we mentioned that before. I like to tease him about that, uh, overachiever, with extra electives as well in Greek and in Hebrew. Um, uh, So high intelligence. there so we, we we did talk a little bit about like you know things that we shouldn't be doing we shouldn't be bargaining with god bargaining with mm. god about uh, figuring out what god is calling us to do what advice would you give to a man of what not to do when discerning a vocation to the priesthood uh well like i said don't bargain with god uh, two uh, don't uh ask the, the biggest question right at the beginning the question is not, should I, uh, am I called to be a priest? An intermediate question is, uh, am I uh, 
so is is this such a, a likely or, or a real possibility for me that I need to try it? I need to try it out. I think that's a very important way rather than to <clears throat> go for the big question right at the beginning. And uh, a very important point is uh, if a man is attracted to the priesthood, to pay attention to that. Don't overlook that. Don't push it aside. Because even if a man isn't uh, called to the priesthood, the fact that he's attracted to it is a grace from God, and it means something. Uh, he may be attracted to the priesthood, but called to marriage. But he's going to be a better husband and a father if he pays attention to his attraction to the priesthood. Because the things that uh, are at work in him that make the priesthood attractive are the graces and gifts that will make him a saint as a husband of the father. You know, and it's a relationship, as you said, too. I mean, it's it's like dating a woman on the first date. You don't ask her to marry you, or most times that doesn't happen, right? And you don't start talking about how many children you're going to have and where you're going to live and if you're going to buy the farm and have a couple cows and chickens and things like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I have no experience in this path, but I suspect <laughs> that that's a deal breaker if, you, if a man goes off on, on that. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing, you know, Father, about what not to do, don't keep it all in your head. Talk to someone. Uh, don't, you don't need to talk to everybody. That's not always very helpful. But talk to a good friend. Talk to, talk to your parish priest. Uh, because oftentimes when we're trying to make decisions, we take, chase our own tales if we just keep it all in mm -hmm. our head. And even just articulating this out to somebody else, uh, they can bring light to it. Plus, simply speaking is a way for the Holy Spirit to uh, intensify the light. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what therapy is all about sometimes, too, is when you're just talking to another person, sometimes the problems get solved or you get greater understanding and talking to someone that you really love, especially if it's a good friend or a parent or a brother or a sister and, and asking them, you know, you know, I've been thinking about this. What do you think can be a great grace uh, to help you along? We're, we don't have to do this alone. You know, God gives us uh, people to walk along with us and, and uh don't be afraid to talk to other people about it. You know, when we hold it in, then it just keeps on going around and around and around and around, and then you get nowhere, right? We have to, we have to act. We have to do something sort of like if you're called to get married, you know, you have to start dating. You're not going to get married if you don't date anybody. And if you feel you're called to the priesthood, you got to start discerning. You got to do something or, or it will never happen. So very wise words, um, wise words there. Father, I, you Father Pelican, too, uh, Bishop uh, Mengling, up in the retired Bishop of Lansing, he, he often had observed that it can be very difficult in this time for young men to sort of get off the dime and take the risk that comes from going down path B instead of path A. That uh, I don't does that make sense to you that it's hard sometimes to get off of ground zero 
today because there are so many choices. Yeah, you know, I, I would often say that to, you know, people, if you go somewhere and there's too many choices, it's just hard to make a choice. And there's so much offered to people and you want to keep your options open. But if that happens, then you're never going to go anywhere. Your options are just always going to be open and it's never going to crystallize and become something. I think, you know, that's why we call you know, the podcast Men of the Hearts, that's our tagline for, for the priesthood is because we need manly men. We need men with the sacred heart of Jesus Christ and the help of the Immaculate Heart of Mary to say yes, to sacrifice, to be bold, to uh, take up the challenge. It's almost like when the Marines are like, be all you can be, you know, do something, you know, we're calling men to the challenge. We need you to be holy men of God and, and to say yes to this vocation of yours. Will it be hard? Yes. Is it going to be difficult? Yes. But God's grace will overcome it. And God's grace will help you be the man that God is calling you to be. And that's where you will find joy. That is where you will find fulfillment. That is where you will find happiness by living up to your potential, not trying to run away from it. So if you are afraid of sacrificing for the Lord, um, don't be ask for that courage, ask for that grace, be the man that God is calling you to be. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. Archbishop, you know, we, we talked a little bit about as you, as you moved on through seminary, uh, what was your ordination like? Do you remember? Do you remember the graces of that day? Do you remember the graces of your first year as a priest? Um, you know, that's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I remember some of the small details about the ordination. At the time I was ordained a priest, uh, we were urged to be ordained either in our home parish or uh, the parish where we served as deacon interns uh, and to be ordained individually. Uh, the late uh, Monsignor Baldwin had this uh, sense that that might be a way to uh, attract men to the seminary. So I was ordained at St. Clement's Church in, in Romeo, where I had been a deacon for a year. And uh, I do remember uh, the day being beautiful. And I remember the grace of all the people who had made so many sacrifices to come and be, be part of that day. Those are the most important memories that I still carry from that day. Um, from my first year as a priest, uh, I was really blessed to have a wonderful parish priest is my pastor, Father Dan Complo, who is uh, about 92 right now, uh, feeble, but uh, still very much uh, a man of the Lord. He lives uh, with his sister in Monroe, in his own hometown. And uh, Father treated me very much like a uh, colleague, a brother, and uh, let me do a lot of things uh, that I thought were useful for the parish and seemed to find joy in what I contributed to the parish. So it was a great year. We had a, a wonderful school. Uh, Bishop Bradley and Kalamazoo's sister, as a matter of fact, was the principal in our school. Uh, she was really a, a fine person. Uh, and so, uh, I enjoyed very much going into school. We had about 800 children in the grade school at that time. So those were very much joys I had. Yeah, you want to speak a little bit about, like, I don't know if you discern this. I mean, it's a calling from God, you know, to 
to be ordained a bishop afterwards. I mean, did you have a choice when you got the call of like, I don't think I should be a bishop or, you know, how does that work? You want to explain a little bit about that? Um, I think you have the same kind of choice that you had, Father, when I asked you if you'd be the vocation director. Hmm. When you make a commitment, I mean, part of being a priest is you make a commitment to this life. And you make a commitment, not just to what you see, but to wherever the path will take you. And uh, one receives a, a, a man, a priest, receives a message that the Holy Father thinks that you should be a, a bishop. He, he would like you to do this. And um, I think the choice you, you that's the right way to think about it is, is there a reason for me that I know of that this is really going to be destructive? Mm-hmm. If I know that, then, then a man should say no. But I think the question is, the church thinks, the Pope thinks, this is the way for me to be a good priest. And if I, uh, and if I can do it, I, I should do it. Yeah. No matter what the uh, challenges might come from it. I mean, my my decision to accept the nomination from the Holy Father was a decision to uh, accept what the church told me she needs from me as a priest. Well, Archbishop, we're we're blessed that you did say yes in this diocese. Um, and one of the one of the things that that strikes me about uh, your, your ministry as a bishop is that you really do, um, vocations are important to you, you know, and, and encouraging them in many ways. I don't know if you'd remember this story, but a classmate of mine, Father Colin Frick, uh, he tells a story about you and you had a, a big impact on his vocation, actually, when he was, when he was Mr. Frick teaching, uh, teaching school. And you just... And Wyandotte, he was teaching mathematics at Mount Carmel High School. That's right. And I believe you... Uh, you just took some time once to talk to him and tell him that you thought he'd be a good priest and ask him if he uh, had ever considered that. And uh, I think that really impacted him that you as the bishop would, would take that time and, and just invite him, you know? So uh, I, I know you take that, that uh, very seriously. What do, what do you see your role in uh, promoting vocations as, as the bishop? Well, to do that sort of thing when, when it falls to me, when I have the opportunity with COVID, I haven't been able to do it, but I try to get to about six high schools a, a year, spend the day there, and I make uh, dealing with a discernment group something I try to do at every high school. Um, I think uh, so in an organized way, in a way that God, Providence puts somebody in my path, I try to be aware of the vocations. Uh, I think the most important thing I can do is support uh, you, Brother Priest, in your work as vocation recruiters. I was talking to another priest, and he was explaining to me, he's like, well, I need to get at least two guys to to become a priest to to realize their vocation. Because if I go, then two need to replace me. And I think that's just a good thing to have Mm. in our mind, that we should have people replacing us uh, for the new generation uh, to take care of the sacramental church, the ministerial priesthood. Um, you know, we kind of skipped over it, but I, I think it was really interesting. And, and maybe, Father David, since you're so 
intellectual and can explain things to us. And before we're ordained, we go through something called a call to orders and scrutinies. You want to explain what that's all about? Hmm. Well, I mean, Archbishop might uh, might be able to explain it better than I, but... Uh... Oh, no, I defer to you. <laughs> I didn't get all A's. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> well, well, it it is true that um, you know, Archbishop, as as the bishop, you really do oversee all vocations uh, in the diocese, and really anyone who gets ordained is called to orders by the archbishop, and um, so it's it becomes it's kind of a formal step um, in the process of discernment and moving towards the priesthood that each of us we we write a letter to the archbishop asking him to call us to orders, to call us to the diaconate and then to the priesthood. And, uh, and ultimately we only, uh, we only move forward if we get that letter from Archbishop as, you know, Father Craig, you and I both did, uh, calling us to orders. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very formal process, but it's also, you know, you talked about confirmations as you're going along, um, that you are called, it's, it's a real confirmation and a reminder that, I don't know, for me, it was a reminder that this isn't just something like I choose, but it's something that I'm called to, right? It's a vocation, a calling. Um, and that came, you know, obviously from Jesus, but in a very real sense through the archbishop, um, the one who called me and who uh, incidentally ordained me a priest. So, And he questions you too. He, he gives you a That's, scrutiny. You want to explain scrutiny? The scrutiny. Well, I... I you know, I remember my scrutiny very well. It was pretty recent here. Uh, I remember being very nervous going into it. Uh, Archbishop meets with each of us individually. And, uh, you know, I remember being nervous. There was really nothing to be nervous about. Archbishop was very, he's very kind. Um, but he sat down and met with me and just, well, first, I think he explained to me a little bit about, you know, the priesthood what what his vision of the priesthood, especially in the archdiocese, and for me, was um, he included stuff like, you know, just just very like important basics of like, you know, you're expected to pray each day, you know, and offer mass, the holy sacrifice of the mass each day, and I remember you emphasizing, Archbishop, that that was really like the most important thing that I could do as a priest, you know, was offer mass. You also asked some questions, just making sure that I realized this was. Uh, this was a permanent commitment. You know, this was something, this was a laying down of my life and that it wasn't just something to enter into lightly, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful time. Just one-on-one -on -one with you, Archbishop, which I know you're a busy man. It doesn't happen super often. Um, but just to hear a little bit of your vision of what you were calling me to and hoping that I would, uh, live out in my ministry. So, yep. Archbishop, do you always ask the same questions or it just kind of comes random or, or what? Because I remember my questions and, and they were kind of weird, actually, I thought. <laughs> well, I, 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 I have two sets of uh, scrutiny questions because I, I do a scrutiny for a diaconate and a scrutiny mm -hmm. for the priesthood. And the decision I make is actually, people might be surprised, the decision I make for the diaconate is the more significant one. That's mm -hmm. one where I call the man to holy orders. And I cannot call the seminarian to the diaconate if I am not already willing to call him to the priesthood. The presumption is if I'm 
call him to the diaconate. Uh, I'm going to call him to the priesthood. Mm. So uh, I have two sets of questions, and I do have them sketched out, but I, uh, it's not like I do it just a checklist. I, I, yeah. I have them in front of me as a guide for the conversation. Yeah, that was, for me at least, um, even just building up to the diaconate and, and saying yes to the Lord was was more impactful than leading up to priesthood because of what you're saying right there. Mm -hmm. The questions that you asked me, I mean, were were standard questions, I think, of, of will you say Mass each day, of course, will you pray? And um, mm -hmm. you did ask me if I would go to all priest funerals, and, and I've tried to honor that as much as I can if, if I'm around. But then you gave me this like weird softball question, it almost felt like Monty Python at the bridge was like, what's your favorite color? <laughs> it wasn't my favorite color, but you, you asked, you're like, is Jesus God? And I'm like, yeah, of course Jesus is God. But then I remember uh, listening to you on your other podcast, Eyes of Jesus, you know, little plug in there, Eyes of Jesus. Uh, listen to that podcast. Eyes on, Eyes on Jesus, Jesus I'm sorry. Yeah. Eyes on Jesus. Um, and you explained that that was very difficult for you to to recognize in, was it in high school that, uh, what did um, it mean, college, that, that Jesus was God? You want to explain a little bit about that? Well, I mean, it's really uh, about, uh, for me personally, my faith journey was not about whether or not I was going to be an atheist, but uh, whether or not I would recognize and acknowledge that uh, God had become a man and used the ordinary things of creation to communicate his own presence. That was really my, it was about the sacraments, it's ultimately about the church as well, but in, in the foundational point, it's about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Uh, no, it's Jesus' question to Peter. Who do people, who do you say that I am? And I ask the question, I do, that is a question I ask every man who comes petitioning for the diaconate, because uh, it, it's not about a whole list of do's and don'ts. If that is the most important question. Hmm. Uh, you know, Father David was talking about the call. And part of my being a sacrament of, of the Lord Jesus is to make real in the lives of men the call, come follow me. Hmm. And also to make real in your lives, who do you say that Jesus is? And uh, you, you have to have that right, or none of the other stuff is really going to work. I've come to realize it was a more profound question than just my favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> well, to kind of end on, on a lighter note, um, <laughs> Father David did mention something that I would have never expected of you. Um, you're an avid horseback rider? You no, <laughs> I have, uh, when I was a, a college seminarian, I worked at uh, a camp, Camp Santa Maria near Gaylord, which is actually founded by uh, a man named Monsignor Chalk, Maurice Chalk, who uh, during the depression was pastor at St. Mary's in Royal Oak. And he started this camp originally for his altar service as a way to give them some uh, a treat in the summer. When I was a seminarian, uh, the staff at this camp was all seminarians. Uh, and I enjoyed being there very much. And uh, 
horseback riding is one of the programs at the camp. And uh, I set my mind to become an instructor in, in uh, Western riding. And I did finally uh, achieve that skill. And uh, I have, uh, for some years, I had the scar of my saddle sword. <laughs> but I, uh, by my second summer, I was able to be an instructor, a riding instructor for beginners. And I enjoyed that. I'm very proud of that achievement. <laughs> that's awesome i wouldn't have thought that do you wear a cowboy hat and everything when you're riding or? <laughs> no and i didn't even have cowboy boots I, no <laughs> not, not necessary well archbishop i remember uh, uh a summer not too long ago i was also working at camp and you came up for a, a brief visit and uh you got right back up on one of those horses and uh you stayed on leading uh leading some of the campers around for about an hour and a half. And uh, you weren't just walking either. You got some some trotting and even some cantering in there. So you you haven't forgotten. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, Archbishop, we want to give you the last word. Is there anything that you want to tell men who are discerning uh, the priesthood, any advice, any blessing, or anything that you just want to offer to them right now um, in your chance in this podcast? I would, If anybody has even a thought about the priesthood, which I presume might be one of the motives to be uh, listening in. If there's anything going on, that's a grace to treasure it. They may not know what it means, but it will, if they, if they nurture it, it will blossom into something wonderful in their lives. It may not blossom into the priesthood, but I would say the simple message is, Thank God ahead of time for this grace. Well, thank you, Archbishop, for taking the time to be with Father David and I. It was a pleasure uh, to hear a little bit about your vocation story, answer some of our odd questions, uh, <laughs> banter back a little bit back and forth. Uh, so it's just been a wonderful uh, pleasure to have you uh, on the show. And and all that you do for the Archdiocese, I just want to thank you as, as one of your priests of, of taking care of us and uh, leading us forward. Yes, thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. You want to offer us a final blessing? Yes. Lord God, we give you praise and thanks. We glorify your name for all that you do for us in the power of Christ and his spirit. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit come down upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop. You're welcome. You've been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Guerra, and me, Father David Pelican, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. <laughs>